as you're returning to your seats, I will just give you two very quick announcements. First of all, this coming Thursday, for those of you who participate in the the listening prayer time, the inquiring of the Lord that we do on Thursday evenings at seven o'clock, we will not be doing an inquiring this coming Thursday. So if you log on, you might be by yourself or with someone else who missed the announcement. Okay, so no inquiring this Thursday evening. We'll pick it up the following week. We are going to be doing a Good Friday service, um, 10 o'clock on Good Friday. So that's this Friday. Um, this will not be, a, we will not have music. Okay, so this is going to be a very quiet, reflective service. Um, that's not to say you can't bring your kids. I, I don't mean that at all. I just want you to be aware that this is going to be um, it's just going to be a service where we're going to spend a lot of time listening to God. If you find yourself um, uncomfortable with silence, you should come and get over that. Um, there might be a reason why you're uncomfortable with silence, but no, it, 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 it'll be good um, to spend time in God's presence in the, in the quiet. Um, so there will be a lot of reflection, prayer. It'll be essentially a guided prayer service, okay? So 10 o'clock this Friday here. Let's pray. Lord, it's been good to worship you this morning as we have been. It's been good to celebrate how you are at work among us, seeing you raise up Kate and send her out to to be a blessing to others. It's good to, to sit with your word in front of us, ready to hear from you. It's good to to see you in the faces of other people here. It's good simply to be here because you are here in special ways because you inhabit the praises of your people, because where two or three are gathered, you're there among us. So Lord, we, we are here enjoying your presence. We are here to interact with you. I, I, I repent of those ways where I used to think of you as distant, but with great hearing, as though you could hear my prayers, but weren't really um, uh, around me in any, any um recognizable sense. Lord, we we want to be here and recognizing the ways that you are here. We want to celebrate and host you well in the room, in the moment. And, And we bring that attitude to the scriptures that you have blessed us with. May we not take scripture for granted. This is something that you breathed and may we, may we revere it and respect what you have breathed and what you bring to us as we open them this morning. Would you continue to speak through your word and as we reflect and your spirit moves among us? Lord, make us love Jesus more. Make us love Jesus more. Make us people who worship the Father because of what we see in Jesus and what we experience through the Spirit. Make us truly Trinitarian. Thank you so much that you reveal yourself. We love you. We are here because we love you. And we want to love you more. We come hungry. We come thirsty. And we're coming to the source. Lord, would you meet us at those deep places this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. 
I want to just say up front about this, this passage and this message. It doesn't matter how long or if you know Jesus, how long you've known him, or even if you know him, this is for you. It doesn't matter whether you have gray hair and have known him since grade school. This message is for you. Okay. It doesn't matter if you really are not sure that you believe in him yet. This message is for you. If you're not sure how real he is, this one is for everyone. Today's Palm Sunday, this is not a Palm Sunday passage, but you are going to notice parallels. So Palm, the typical Palm Sunday passages are the ones where Jesus enters into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people are waving their um, palm branches around and they're, they're shouting like we sang this morning, Hosanna, which initially meant save us, but came to be um, just a, an expression of praise, worshiping God, but also crying out to him at the same time. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and it looked like a big celebration, except that there's a glaring absence in those passages. The glaring absence in those typical Palm Sunday passages as Jesus enters Jerusalem, um, riding the donkey and everyone's celebrating, are that the leaders aren't there. The crowds that are celebrating, but the leaders aren't there. And it's glaringly apparent. Because there's actually, as Jesus enters in victory into Jerusalem, not everyone likes it. And, and so you, it, there's a similar thing happening in our passage where you're going to see people on different pages about who Jesus is and what their response to him is and should be. And so they're going to be all over the map. So you're going to see this come out a number of times. And as I read this long passage, I want you to notice that. I want you to see all of the different responses to Jesus because even those within the crowd are not all celebrating. Some of them think he's great, Some of them aren't so sure. And then you see the responses of the leaders as well. So there are all of these different, they're going to argue with one another, all of these different interactions, and the people are going to argue with one another about Jesus. And that's going to set the stage for where we move from there. So please notice that and notice how Jesus responds to them. As he is aware that in the crowd, not everyone likes him. Not everyone is on the same page that he is with who he is and what he's there to do. So notice all of that as we move through this passage. So we're in John. I'm going to pick it up at verse 11, and we're going to go until verse 52. Did I say John chapter 7? Okay, thank you for that. John chapter 7, starting at verse 11, going to the end. Now, the Jews were looking for him at the festival. So this is a a Jewish festival. It's It's a celebration of what God had done in the Exodus that they continue to remember. So as they're, as they're having their, this religious festival, the Jews were looking for him and saying, where is he? And there was considerable complaining about him among the crowds. Your translation might say grumbling, um, arguing as well. While some were saying he's a good man, others were saying, no, he's deceiving the crowd. He's deceiving the people. Yet no one would speak openly about him for fear of the Jews or the Jewish leaders. But about the middle of the festival, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were astonished at it, saying, how does this man have such learning when he has never been taught? Then Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. 
Notice this next verse. It's going to be very important. Jesus continues, anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. Those who speak on their own seek their own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and there is nothing unjust in him. Did Moses not, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you looking for an opportunity to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus answered them, I performed one work and all of you are astonished. That work he's talking about is the healing of the blind man at the pool of Bethesda back in chapter five. One work and you're astonished. Because of this, Moses gave you circumcision. It is, of course, not from Moses, but from the patriarchs. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order that the law of Moses might not be broken, are you angry with me because I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Do not judge by appearances, but with right judgment. Now, some of the people of Jerusalem are saying, is not this the man whom they're trying to kill? And here he is speaking openly, but they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah? Yet we know where this man is from. But when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he was teaching in the temple, Oh, you know me and you know where I'm from, but I have not come on my own. But the one who sent me is true and you do not know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Then they tried to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his time had not yet come. Yet many in the crowd believed in him and were saying, when the Messiah comes, will he really do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering such things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple police to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will search for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So that's the, all of the land outside of Judea and Galilee. Is he going, is he leaving us? What does he mean? You'll search for me and you, will, you'll won't, you won't find me and where I am, you cannot come. So there's confusion. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And let the one who believes in me drink as the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no spirit because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some asked, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the temple police went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why did you not arrest him? The police answered, never has anyone spoken like this. 
Then the Pharisees replied, Surely you have not been deceived too, have you? Has any one of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, they're accursed. In other words, why are you following the crowd? They don't know what they're talking about. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before, that's back in chapter three, and who was one of them asked, our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? But they replied, surely you're not also from Galilee, are you? Search and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. As you move through this passage, you you see that there are people with varying degrees of understanding about who Jesus is, right? You, You have people who are like, I think he's the prophet. I think he's the Messiah, but we're not too sure and we're arguing about it too. I think he's actually deceiving people and he's neither prophet nor Messiah. He's false prophet, false Messiah. You, you see that there are people who, who just don't really get it. They, they're seeing something in Jesus that, that's drawing them in, but, but as it draws them in, it, there's, this, there's this wrestling going on. And the verbal processors, I recently discovered I'm more of a verbal processor than I realized. My wife is currently laughing at me about this. The verbal processors in the crowd are talking out loud about, is this, we're trying to think through, is this actually Jesus? This Jesus, is he actually what we were expecting? Because it doesn't all add up. We don't get where this guy is coming from because we know this about the Messiah and we know this about Jesus and they don't match. And Jesus doesn't feel like clarifying that, which I find really, really interesting. He could have just said, actually, I was born in Bethlehem, and he doesn't. That, that's just fascinating. Park on that a different time, but just notice that, right? Jesus isn't out to make sure that everyone understands every detail. Because what they have, perhaps, because what they have is already enough, and it's already revealing something about them. And what he's given them is already enough, and it'll either draw them in, or push them back. Fascinating. So there are all of these various degrees of understanding, and there's a growing conflict. Right? The conflict between Jesus and the people who are seeing what he's doing has been growing since Jesus healed that blind man at the pool back in chapter 5, a long time ago in the narrative. There's this growing conflict Jesus is doing good things. Jesus is saying good things, but it's bringing things out in people that you wouldn't have expected. You would think that everyone would just jump up and celebrate that this guy is healed, right? Did I say blind man at the pool? The the, uh, lame man at the pool. Anyway, you would have expected that there wouldn't be conflict, that everyone We should all be on the same page. It's good for someone to get healed, right? But what Jesus often does things that provoke, that just ends up provoking people. And what it does is reveal something of their hearts. Would you look at verse 17? 
There's confusion about him in the crowd. What he's saying, what he's doing. It's bringing something out in people. Whether it's a positive or a negative reaction. And Jesus says, anyone who has resolved to do the will of God will know whether what I'm saying, or you could insert what I'm doing, is from God or whether I'm just, I'm on my own. This this reveals something to us. Anyone who has already made the, the decision that whatever I get from God, I will, I will do. Whatever I hear from God, I will say. What, if, if there is in us a willingness to lay down everything at whatever cost, that's the thing that will bring recognition that what God is saying or what God is doing is in fact God. This is backwards to our way of thinking. It's not that, um, it's not like we can say, if God makes it clear enough to me, I will go do. If God makes it clear enough to me, I will go say. The clarity comes first. The, The clarity, sorry, the clarity comes from having first said, I will do anything God says. I will, I will completely deny myself and do anything God tells me to do. I will go anywhere he tells me to go. We've been talking a lot about hearing from God, listening to God. He's the one who speaks. One person of the Trinity is called the word. It is God's nature to communicate. The problem is not on God's end when we don't recognize what he's saying. It's on our end. And part of learning to recognize what God is saying and part of learning to recognize what God is doing is first being willing to lay down absolutely everything in order that we might recognize what he's saying and doing. It's backwards to our way of thinking, I know. You know, there's an illustration later on in John that proves this point. We sometimes think that, you know, if God just turns up the volume, God can speak as loud as he wants, then I'd be able to hear better. There's an episode later on in the gospel of John where God speaks audibly from heaven. God, Jesus says something like, glorify your son. And God says, glorify your name. And God says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd hears 
but not being willing to listen, they don't recognize. And, and the, the text says, some said it thundered. But Jesus said, this voice from heaven came for not my benefit, but yours. In other words, God just spoke audibly from heaven for the sake of the crowd, not Jesus. But they didn't recognize it because they weren't willing to listen to it. We want greater recognition of what God is saying to us. It means getting lower, humbling ourselves more. I will do whatever you say before I've heard it. I'm willing to obey at any cost. I'd like you and I to take a moment and ask God to speak to us more about this personally for you. So we're going to take a few moments just to listen. We're going to pause. It's going to be quiet and ask the Lord to drill down on this one for you, for me, for us. Let's take a moment. I love Jesus. I love Jesus that in this passage, as we see him interacting with people who aren't getting it, aren't buying what he's selling, aren't too sure about his, his authenticity, right? To use sort of a contemporary buzzword, right? They're, they're not quite sure if he is actually who he's saying he is and you know, they're, they're just not too sure about this guy, right? Yet some who like him, some who, yeah, we're not too sure. But I love that Jesus steps into the middle of that. And here's what he says to them. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Wherever you're at right now, in your reaction to what Jesus has been saying and doing, doesn't matter. You don't have to have all the answers to come to me. You don't have to get your confessions up to date first and and make yourself feel morally good before you can come to God. You don't have to figure out who I am first. You just need to come. I love this about Jesus. You don't have to pass the tests. That's how good he is. This is the Jesus that we love and serve. He will invite anyone. He steps into a crowd that's debating about him and he goes, If you're thirsty, how awesome is that? How good is this Jesus? Man, I love him. It's it's incredible. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. 
I have something to offer you. Jesus says, that's why I say that this is a message for everyone, regardless of how long you've known him or whether you know him at all. I've got more to offer you, he says. Come to me and drink. And look at the promise. If, if you come to Jesus, look what comes next. He will bless you with more of himself than you can contain. As the scripture says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's a promise from Ezekiel 47. In Ezekiel 47, there's this picture of, of the, a reconstructed temple. The temple is where God dwells, right? It's the reconstructed temple, and there's water in this vision trickling out from the, the door to the temple. And as the river, as the water trickling out leaves the temple, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper the farther that it goes. It, it expands and it spreads and becomes a river. And along the banks of the river are trees that bear fruit for healing. And the river goes in the vision to the Dead Sea where there's no life. And it brings life in the vision to something that's dead. Rivers of living water. Jesus wants to offer you so much that there's the potential for you, for him through you, to bring life to everything that's dead that you will ever encounter. That's the life that he calls us to, to, to be people who bear the presence and, and steward his presence and welcome his presence to such a degree that his presence brings life to every part of death that we encounter. Why don't you come Sunday tonight? We're heading out to the streets. We pray over people who typically homeless people, not always, but often we offer them some hot chocolate and we pray. But we, as we do, we carry and we bring that presence of the river of life, rivers of living water to people who need living water. He wants to do that out there. And he wants to do it in here too. It's for everyone. Do you need life? Do you need living water? If anyone is thirsty, do we come Sunday after Sunday hungry and thirsty for more of this Jesus who will offer himself regardless of where you're at right now? Where you don't have to jump through hoops or pass tests or go through steps. It's just, I'm here and I'm available right now and I want to bring more than you can possibly ever imagine. Do you want that? the God that we serve. And he's here to meet you now. He's here to meet us now. So I'm, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up and we are going to worship. But what I, would, what I would like you to consider is, is God asking you to once again come to Jesus, whether it's for the first time or just the next time to come and drink.
because he has more to offer you wherever you are. No matter if you're out in the Dead Sea or if you're just like, I still came thirsty. I I would invite you actually to come forward. If you want prayer, we have people that would be happy to pray for you. If you just want to come and do business with God, come sit at the front and, and say, this is my time that I'm going to set aside because I hear him inviting me because there's an invitation in this passage. And if you are resolved to do the will of God, then you will know if he is inviting you to come and take a step and do some business with him. That's the message of this passage. It's the invitation that God gives to you. So we are gonna worship. This is a space for you to come and meet with God as you feel led to. Lord Jesus, we love you. Have your way among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I hear the word bro- words broken bone. If that means something to you, um, maybe come forward for some prayer or something. But otherwise, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, especially as we enter Holy Week and into Easter. May you encounter the, the God who dies for you and rises for you again this week. In Jesus' name, go in peace. Blessings, friends.